mainly high school ministry there, and absolutely love it. I have a wife and three wonderful boys, and my boys are, they are always keeping me on my toes. My oldest is nine, and my youngest is four, and they are constantly teaching me and training me as I learn this whole parenting thing. My, my youngest, he is a handful, and I love him to death, but he is incredibly stubborn, which is opposite kind of my laid-back youth pastor's personality. Uh, so we, at the beginning, would do this a lot, where he would just, like, stand firm and decide something, and I wouldn't know what to do, because I'm like, I just don't, just stop. This doesn't make any sense. And, and so, and it'd be over, like, the littlest things, you know, it'd be like 20 minutes before it's time to eat dinner, and he couldn't be like, Dad, I want a snack. And I'd be like, oh, sorry, buddy, like, you can't have a snack, because we're going to eat dinner in 20 minutes. And then he would just start throwing a huge fit, like, screaming and yelling, and, like, doing the whole, like, trying to hit you thing. He's... He's an awesomely super cute kid, but when he's throwing a fit, he's doing his fit, you know, and and he would do this, and it was not working out very well for me, and I couldn't figure out a way to handle it. It I would be trying to, like, mess with him and figure out how to deal with it, and finally, I came up with a strategy that seems to work, and the strategy is pretty simple. It's, hey, little buddy, you need to go to your room until you're done throwing this fit, and he he would throw a fit about going to his room, but he would go to his room, and he he would do that little, like, frumpy walk all the way to his room, you know? And he'd go in there, and he'd be screaming and screaming, I want my snack, I want my snack, I want my snack. And after five minutes or so, when he realized this wasn't getting him anywhere, he would start yelling at me, Daddy, can I come out of my room now? You know, and the, the very first time, Daddy, can I come out of my room now? And, and, I, and I yelled back, I said, as soon as you stop crying, you can come out of your room. And he goes, but I'm not crying. <laughs> and then, so he starts to throw another fit, you know. And so I go in there and I just lean against the door jam and, and I'm like, hey, buddy, remember I said, as soon as you're not crying, you can come out of your room. But I'm not crying anymore. And he starts crying again. I'm like, I'm like buddy, you're just, you're just kind of missing the point. Like as soon as you stop throwing a fit, you can come out of your room. And, and it took him like a good half an hour to figure this out, to first like work out what I was talking about. And now when we do it, he goes to his room, he's mad, and, and then he goes, Daddy, can I come out? I said, are you crying? And he goes, no. And so he, he comes out. He, like, he finally got the point. He finally understood. Now sometimes I'm like, hey, buddy, you're going to have to go to your room until you're done throwing the fit. And on the way to his room, he'll be like, yeah, I'm done. And he'll come back. You know? <laughs> he's like, I don't even have to go to my room anymore. This is great. You know? I'm so excited to step into Mark chapter 12 with you all as you have been reading through the Gospels and, and just beginning to hopefully really dig into this and understand. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 12 all morning, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, uh, get out your phone, whatever, um, so that you can read along with us as we dive into Mark chapter 12. I'm really excited with what the Lord is going to teach us through this this morning. But before we dive into it, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that your word teaches us and guides us and shows us the way, Lord, that it leads us into loving you and loving others. God, we ask this morning that you would teach us through your word, and we praise you this morning that we have light, that we can read the pages, uh, and volume, that we can hear your word being spoken. Lord, in your name, amen. So as I said, today we're in Mark chapter 12, and you knew that already because you have been reading along. And because you've been reading along, you kind of already know the context. You kind of already know what's going on. You know that Jesus has just entered Jerusalem. And one of the first things he did when he came into Jerusalem is he went into the temple and he got a little angry, right? He went into the temple and he said, hey, this is not the way the temple's supposed to be treated. This is not what's supposed to be going on in the temple. He starts like tipping over tables and doing some crazy stuff, driving people out saying, hey, you've made my father's house a robber's den. So the first kind of act he did as entering Jerusalem was, was making some enemies because the leaders of the church of the day, the leaders of the Jewish 
community were like, hey, we're not super happy about you already. We're not super happy about you already because of your popularity in the community. We're not super happy with you already because of how many followers you have compared to how many followers we have. And now the first thing you've done after entering Jerusalem and entering our place is you've come in and you've started knocking over tables and you've started throwing people out of the temple, right? And, and so they're not super excited with this Jesus guy for some reason. And so they're like, hey, we've got to do something about this Jesus guy. And so that begins in chapter 11, right towards the end there. They send him some people, and they're like, hey, we're going to start to figure out what we can do about Jesus. And so the first thing they do is they come to Jesus, and they're like, hey, by whose authority are you doing what you're doing? Who said you can come into the temple and knock over tables, right? Who said you can come try and take our people and and do the things that you're doing? And I love what happens with Jesus, right? And, And you guys know, as you read chapter 11, maybe talked about it last week, we heard that Jesus tells them, hey, uh, I'll tell you the answer to your question if you answer my question. And so he gives them this little conundrum about John the Baptist. Hey, is he from God or is he from man? And they recognize if we say that he's from God, then he's teaching people to follow Jesus. So they're going to follow this guy, and and we're going to lose this battle. But if we say that he's from man, well, the people really like John the Baptist. Our people, our Jewish community, they really like John the Baptist. So if we say that he's from man, then our people are going to get mad at us, and they're going to stop following. So no matter what we say, we've lost, right? And so they're like, what are we going to do? We won't answer. Hey, Jesus, we're not going to answer that question. Jesus is like, cool. If you don't answer my question, I don't have to answer your question. And that kind of that kind of moves us right into chapter 12. They've already begun to kind of start challenging Jesus' authority, and now Jesus begins to speak. And in the beginning of chapter 12, he opens up with a story. It's a story about a vineyard. Right? And he says, he says, hey, there's this vineyard, and there's this guy who owns this vineyard, and he builds up the whole vineyard, and then he rents it out to some tenants. And what's supposed to happen is the tenants are supposed to be in the vineyard for a year, and at the end of the year, they're supposed to give the owner some of the produce, right? And the owner sends some people to collect the produce, and the, the vineyard uh, tenders are like, nah, we're not going to pay you. We're going to keep it for ourselves. They beat them up, and they send them packing, right? The owner sends some more people. They beat up those ones. The owner keeps sending people, and over and over again, they keep beating up or killing the owner's people. And so finally, the owner's like, well, forget this. I'm going to send my only son. And, and for those of us who have been reading through the Gospels already, for those of us who've been reading the scripture for any amount of time, for us, it's very clear what's going on in this passage. As soon as the owner says, I'm going to send my only son, we're like, okay, so Jesus is talking about himself. Great. And so he says, I'm going to send my only son. And we read in the parable what's going on, that, that they take the only son and they go, oh, we can kill him, and then we can be the owners of the vineyard. And so that's what they do. And so then Jesus says, hey, what do you think the owner of the vineyard is going to do when he comes back? And obviously everyone knows the answer. The owner of the vineyard is going to be kind of upset. The owner of the vineyard is probably going to punish these guys. He's going to kick them out. He's going to do whatever he needs to do to take back his vineyard. And I love what Mark writes right here. He says that, he's like, hey, they figured maybe he was talking about them. Right? The leaders of the church. They're like, hey, I think maybe he's talking about us. I, I love that, that he bothers to write that because it, it doesn't really, like, obviously, there's nobody else that they could be talking about. There's nobody else that the parable could be about. So it's funny that Mark felt the need to write, hey, I think he's talking about us. And, and second, it's interesting because in this parable, Jesus not only tells them who he is, that he's the son of God, but he also tells them what he's about to do. He's about to die. He's about to die. They're about to kill him. And Jesus knows this already, and he tells this parable basically saying, hey, guess what? You leaders of the Jewish community, uh, you religious leaders, are about to kill me. That's how this whole thing is going to go down. And he even begins to pronounce judgment on them for what they are about to do. 
And it says right here that the religious leaders are like, man, we've got to take care of this guy. We need to get him arrested. But if we arrest him, the people are going to be upset. So instead, let's try and discredit his authority. Let's try and figure out a way to shut him down, to make him make a mistake in what he's saying and what he's doing so that the people don't like him, or maybe even if we can make him make a mistake that the Roman government won't like him. We need someone not to like him so that someone can take care of this problem that we have. Because all along the way, really what's going on is they are missing the point. They're missing the point of who Jesus is. It's amazing because as we read through the Old Testament, we understand that they are waiting for a Savior. That's what they've been doing all this time, and they've been trying to follow the law and do what's right so that when the Savior comes, they'll be ready for that Savior to set up a kingdom and to do this amazing thing. And now he shows up, and the religious leaders, they're just kind of missing the point. They've kind of not figured out who he is. They haven't figured out why he's here. They haven't figured out what's going on. And so right now they continue to say, okay, let's figure out if we can figure out how to stop this guy. And so they send some more people. And these people come to and say, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes, right? Should we pay taxes or should we not pay taxes? They're like, hey, if he says that we should pay taxes, well, then we can get him, saying, isn't, isn't the church greater than, than the Roman government, right? You're supposed to overthrow the government. That's why you're here, I thought, was to set up this kingdom and overthrow the government. So maybe we can get him to mess up here. But if he says that we shouldn't pay taxes, well, great, the Roman government will come in and they'll take care of him. Because you can't say that in the Roman government, right? And Jesus being Jesus, he answers perfectly. He says, bring me a coin. They bring him a coin. He says, whose image is this? And they say, Caesar's. And he says, great, then give to Caesar's what is Caesar's. And then he says this. He says, give to God what is God's. And what he's insinuating, because we understand and they would understand, because they know Genesis by heart. So they would understand that in Genesis we're told that we are God's image. And so when he says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, they're like, okay, these coins belong to Caesar. And when he says, give to God what is God's, he's saying, each and every one of us belong to God, that we are God's image. And they're like, well, that didn't work. He got us, right? So then they send some more people, and, and it's, it seems as if these things are happening right, one right after the other. Really, most scholars think that this is happening over a series of a few days. And they send some more people to see Jesus, and, and these people are the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they know the law, and they don't believe in the resurrection. And so they come up with this fantastic story, right? They say that there's this poor lady who has a husband. This husband has six brothers, so there's seven total kids. And this, for some reason, this poor lady... One after another, after another, after another of her husbands dies. Just one after another. A really poor lady, right? At the end of this, she has no husbands and she has no kids. And they're like, so when she gets to heaven, who's she going to be with? Which one of the seven brothers is she going to be married to? How is this going to work, Jesus? And I love how Jesus responds to the Sadducees. He doesn't really mess around with them at all. He says, hey, is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. You guys have no idea what you're talking about. You've totally missed the point, right? You've totally missed the point of the scripture. You've totally missed the point of the resurrection. You've totally missed the point of who God is and what God's able to do. He eventually tells them, hey, God is not the God of the living, but of not the God of the dead, but of the living. God's people are alive. The resurrection is true. And then one more time, as if to give him one more little jab, he says, actually, you are quite wrong. You are quite wrong. You've totally missed the point. Now, after this, there's another guy, a scribe. And this scribe was listening to what was going on between Jesus and the Sadducees. And he's like, wow, this guy's pretty smart. And so he asked Jesus a question. We get no evidence from the text that he's trying to mess with Jesus, that he's trying to trap him or hurt him in any way. He simply asks, hey, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus responds to him this. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And in verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It's as if this guy had been watching for days and realizing that his people had been missing the point over and over and over and over. Like Ezra in his bedroom, who was waiting to be released, who was screaming to be released, was totally missing the point that all he had to do to be released was stop the screaming, right? All he had to do to walk out of his room was just stop the fit. But he was missing the point and struggling to see the point, and so was stuck in his room. And in the same way, the scribe recognizes, hey, I think our people are stuck here, and we're missing the point over and over and over again. So he comes to Jesus and basically asks him, what is the point? What is the most important command? What is the thing that we should be understanding? And so Jesus tells him, and this guy, the first guy of all the people, he agrees with Jesus. He says, wow, I think you're right. Isn't that amazing? He says, I think you're right. I think that is what we should do. And I want to jump ahead to the end of the chapter just really quickly. Because at the end of the chapter, there's this interesting thing that happens. Jesus is hanging out by the temple. And there's a bunch of people who are coming and they're giving their offering. And Jesus calls over his disciples because he sees something. He goes, disciples, come here. He sees one of these cool teachable moments, you know. So he calls his disciples over and the disciples all come over and they're all kind of huddled around Jesus. We get this kind of picture in the, in the text. And as they're huddling around Jesus, Jesus is like, hey, look at this lady. There's this poor widow. And she comes to give her offering and she drops in two pennies, which is, it's hardly anything. And he says to the disciples, this woman has given more than all of the rest. Right, because she gave everything she had. Really what he's saying is, remember just a day ago when I said the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? He says, well, here's a lady who's doing exactly what I said. Here's a lady who's getting the point. She understands what this life is all about. She understands why she exists, to love the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, with all her mind. And so she's given everything she has to me, to God. He's illustrating the point that he's already made. And so now if we jump back to our text, I I want us to see what's going on here. As this woman loved the Lord of God with all her heart, and the scribe who finally says, hey, Jesus, I think you're right, the first of all the questioners to affirm that what Jesus said is true, and don't miss what Jesus says to him in verse 34. He says, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He says, you get the point. As the the rest of your contemporaries, they don't know what's going on. They haven't quite figured out who I am. They don't understand what's happening. They aren't really following God. They're not really loving God with all their heart, soul, and mind. They're loving the law with all their heart, soul, and mind. They're loving the people with all their heart, soul, and mind. They're loving maybe the money that they're getting with all their heart, soul, and mind. But they're not loving me with all of their heart, soul, and mind. They've They've missed the point. And because they've missed the point, they're kind of still stuck in the bedroom. They're kind of still stuck, not, not following God, but doing their own thing and wondering how to, how to get out of this and waiting for a Savior that, that is never going to come because he's already here and they've totally missed the point. But this man, this scribe, Jesus says to him, you are not far from the weak, from the kingdom of God. In your weekly reading, you've probably seen enough of the religious leaders to know that they have grossly missed the point. They spent hundreds of years waiting for the promised Savior, hundreds of years waiting for the Messiah to come and set up the kingdom, and and along the way, they've forgotten what it was all about. They've forgotten to love God with everything they have. 
And this, this passage that Jesus quoted them, to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, and mind, this was taken straight out of the Old Testament, straight out of the f- first five books, the ones that they would know by heart, the ones that they should understand and know, the ones that they should get, that this is what life is all about. But nowhere in any of the previous interactions with Jesus are people actually trying to find the real truth. They're coming trying to stop Jesus. They're coming trying to set him up for failure. They're coming trying to bring him down. And nowhere in any of these passages, in any of these interactions, until the scribe is someone showing up saying, I actually want to know who God is. And I actually want to know how to follow him. And I actually want to know how to love him. All they're trying to do is they're trying to make Jesus, the Savior, the King of all the universe, out to be the bad guy. And every one of Jesus' answers serves multiple purposes. The first is, he knows he's still got stuff to do. He knows he's still got some people he needs to tell. He knows he's still got some work to do with his disciples. And so for now, he's got to stay alive and he's got to stay out of jail. Right? So as he's answering these questions, he's like, hey, I'm going to answer him in such a way that I'm going to stay alive and stay out of jail for now. Eventually, yes, I'm going to let you take me to the cross. But for now, I've got to stay alive. Secondly, he's, he's showing these people. The religious leaders, you guys are missing the point. He's doing everything he can to get them to get that they're stuck in the bedroom, that they've missed the point. And finally, he's telling the people, because he tells them just right after the last little, the last little interaction, to beware of the teachers of the law. He's telling the people, hey, these guys have missed the point. Don't miss it with them. There's no reason for you to be stuck in the bedroom too. So you might as well understand that what matters is that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I hope this week, as you read Mark chapter 12, I hope that you're going you're to take a moment to underline verses 29 to 31. And as we read these interactions, I think it's monumentally important for us to ask ourselves, where am I missing the point? In what ways in my life am I hanging out in my room instead of living in the freedom that Christ died to give me? And I think as we look through these groups of people, we can look and see how each group is kind of missing the point. And we can look and see, and maybe if, am I missing the point in the same way? Right, there's that first group that shows up and they question God's authority. They say, hey, by what authority are you doing the things you're doing? And I can't tell you how many times I've been someone in that group. I can't tell you how many of my t- times in my life something hard has happened to me. Maybe it comes time to pay the rent and I don't have the money to do it. Maybe someone in my family gets sick. Maybe my wife is having a hard time at work or I'm having a hard time, whatever it is. Every time something difficult comes in my life, there is that temptation to question the authority of God. Right? There's that temptation to say, Lord, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Who are you to ruin my life this way? Right? Who are you to make me go through these hard things? And, and the reality is, is that if I were only to get the point, if I were only to understand that what matters is to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind, that it would take me to a place where I would trust his authority. I remember just last week I was sitting with this lady. Her husband's in the hospital, has been told he's only going to live maybe three months if he's lucky. And she's sitting in my office uh, because she requested a meeting with me, and I'm, I'm talking to her, and she's asking me, hey, I'm hoping that you can pray for me. And I'm like, yeah, for sure, I've been praying a lot for you and for your husband. She says, no, what I'm hoping you can pray for me is this. I'm hoping you can pray that God will show me how to use my husband's death to reach his people. It'll show me the right people to talk to, the right people to tell his story. And I, my mind was blown. I was looking at this lady going, are you kidding me? Like, all that's going on in your life right now and what you're thinking about is how you can use this to reach God's people. Here's a lady that loves the Lord her God with all her heart, with all her soul, and with all her mind. And instead of saying, God, what are you doing? Why would you take my husband from me? She's saying, God, what are you doing with me? Where can I go? How can I serve you? 
And if we're getting the point, we're not stuck in the bedroom, but we are, we are moving out saying, God, I'm going to live in this life that you've called me to live in. Then we're not saying, God, why are you doing things that I don't like in my life? We're saying, God, what are you doing through my life in these things that I don't like? Maybe we're like the second group. The group that was challenging who God is. The group that was trying to throw him out of his own garden. The group that Jesus is telling this parable about, where Jesus is saying, hey, uh, you guys are missing the point entirely. And instead of embracing what God has given him, they're abusing it. And when, when God sends prophets and eventually he sends his only son, they're going to take him to the cross. And, and how often in my own life, I wonder, do I ignore the truth of the gospel for my own benefit? Right? How, in my, how often in my own life, when I know I shouldn't gossip, am I enjoying gossip anyway? When I know that I shouldn't watch that one show, I still sit down and I, I enjoy that show. When, when I know that I, I shouldn't waste time uh, spending time on YouTube, that's one of my, one of my vices, uh, I find myself for hours spending time on YouTube anyway. When I know that there's these things in my life that I shouldn't do, that I shouldn't be saying, that I shouldn't be thinking, how often in my own life, just like those, those Pharisees, am I like, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to kind of ignore the knowledge that this is not the way I should be acting, and I'm going to love me instead of the Lord my God. I'm going to love myself instead of the king. How often when I'm told to share the gospel with someone on the street, share the gospel with one of my neighbors, am I like, ah, um, I'm kind of afraid of the people. I'm afraid of how they might react. And so instead, Lord, I'm going, to, I'm going to keep silent. And of course, if I were to get the point, if I were to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul and my mind, I would stop loving myself so much and I would put him first. One of my absolute favorite beverages in the world is uh, Arizona green tea. It comes in this big, tall can for a dollar. I love that stuff. The thing is, is that my littlest, the same one we were talking about, Ezra, he loves that stuff too. And so when I'm drinking a can of Arizona, if he sees me drinking it, he'll be at my heels. Dad, Dad, I want some Arizona. I want some Arizona. The reality is if I say no, he's going to throw a fit, right? <laughs> so often I say yes, but, but sometimes I'm like, nah, I, I don't really, I want to love myself right now. And this tea is mine, you know, and if you want to throw a fit, that's fine. You can go to your room. I'll be able to drink my tea in peace. <laughs> and how often am I like that with the Lord, right? How often am I like, nah, Lord, like I want this pleasure of mine right now, and, and so I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm not going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. How often are we like the third group? The one that challenged God's image. The one that said, hey, should we pay taxes? And when, when Jesus said, hey, uh, you have to understand that you bear God's image. You belong to Christ. And I forget that so often. In this life, I forget that everything I have doesn't belong to me but it belongs to God. I forget that the money that's in my bank account isn't my money, but it's God's money. I forget that the car that I have isn't my car, but it's God's car. And the house that I have isn't my house, but it's God's house. The time that I have isn't my time. It's God's time. But if I were to get the point, if I were to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and I were, I were to love others as myself, if I were to do what God has called me to do, if I were to get the point, then it would be something more like, okay, God, what I have is actually yours and i'm going to love you the same way that poor widow does and i'm going to give everything in service of you whether that be my money my time my car whatever it is i'm going to give it to you god if you're calling me to sponsor a child in world vision then i'm going to do that i'm not going to say but i need my 28 dollars a month or whatever it is i'm going to i'm going to say okay god i cannot have 28 dollars worth of coffee a week and, I, and or a month and i could give that to you instead 
maybe maybe in your context, and, and I always love to to um, shamelessly support the youth ministry, right? Maybe in your context, it's, hey, God, uh, I've been thinking about maybe helping out with the youth ministry at the church, but I'm not sure I can give the extra time to do that. And maybe what we need to do is say, God, I re- recognize that my time is yours and that I'm going to serve in that ministry. I'm going to help in that way because it's what you're calling me to do, to love others as if I would love myself. If I'm going to get the point and I'm going to love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind, it means I'm going to recognize that my time and my resources are not my own. They are Christ. Maybe we're like the fourth group, challenging God's word. The group that they knew the scripture, and when they went to read the scripture, they read the scripture through a lens that said there is no resurrection. Right? And so then they said, as I'm reading the scripture with a lens that says there is no resurrection, I'm reading the scripture trying to say what I believe has to be true through the scripture. And so they're taking the law and they're trying to bend the law to make it seem like it fits in what they desire. And how often do I do that? How often do I read a passage and go, wow, this passage seems to say this, but I don't like that. So I'm just going to pretend that it doesn't say this. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to weave my way around this so I don't have to live that truth because that truth is hard to live. Right? But if we were to love the Lord our God, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind. It means that when I go to the scripture, when I go into my 90 days with Jesus, and I'm trying to set this foundation for a year of loving God and loving my community and loving others. If that's what I'm going to the scripture to figure out, I'm going to the scripture not to say, God, how can I make your word believe what I believe? I'm going to the scripture to say, God, how can I understand what is true from you? What you believe to be true. How can I live, Lord, in what you believe to be true in my own life? My, my hope this morning is that if any of us in the room are are living our life for Christ, like any of these four groups that we've just understood, that we make a change this morning to live our life for Christ like the fifth guy, the scribe. The one who showed up and he said, Jesus, I want to know what's actually true. And when Jesus said what's actually true is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you would love others and yourself, this guy says, yes, that is true. And he says, I understand, even from my own understanding of Scripture, that, that sacrifices are worth nothing if I don't actually love you. That coming to church is worth nothing if I don't actually love you with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. That anything that I might do, any ministry I might serve in, any way in which I might give my money, it means nothing if I don't actually love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and love others as myself. He got the point. He wasn't stuck in the bedroom doing his own thing, trying to figure out how to, how to enjoy his own life, how to get whatever it is that he desired that was, in fact, forcing him into the bedroom. Instead, he was outside the bedroom because he understood he got the point. All I've got to do is love the Lord with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. And he loved the Lord with everything he had. He recognized this world is not about me. It is about the man that is standing before me. And he, my friends, Jesus said, was not far from the kingdom of God. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, we ask that you would help us to recognize in us the places that we are not loving you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. Lord, the places that we are challenging your authority, that we are challenging your word, that we are challenging your truth. God, that we may turn from those things and we may turn directly to you, and we may start to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Lord, would you transform us this morning to be like the little lady who gave everything she had 
because she understood the point is to love you with everything. In your name. Amen. Amen. Nick, thank you so very much. Wow. Um, yeah, go ahead. I appreciate you faithfully communicating God's word to us and making it uh, so practical. You know, one of the things that um, I've heard a lot uh, as through the years as a pastor is I don't see, I don't understand how a 2,000-year-old uh, document can be relative to my life, relevant to my life today. Well, I would say, yeah, read it. <laughs> and uh, it, it's just the, it's uh, timeless truth, and we appreciate you. Uh, preparing and being with us today. And Nick is actually going to be back again one Sunday next month as well. And uh, so thank you for making time for us. Uh, Right now, before I hand it over to Jason for our closing song, we are going to worship God with our giving. We'd love to ask our uh, ushers to go ahead and come around. And I'd like to, uh, I just, as always, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for how you faithfully give and for your your generosity. Uh, I am so very grateful for that. And I also want to remind you as well to visit uh, Jason's table uh, before you leave where you can uh, find out more about uh, how to sponsor a child through World Vision, how to uh, purchase uh, music that he has created, and some, and some other cool accessories back there. You got magnets back there? Wow. Yes. <laughs> You're doing it. Coffee cups too? Yes. Yeah. And I've known him for a while. I've got my own coffee cup already. So, and it, coffee just tastes better every time I use it. Yeah. So, all right. I'm done. Jason, back to you. Thank you. All right. Why don't we just stand up together as we close? Were the word in the beginning, one with God, the Lord most high, hidden glory in 